0: that woman right there you love her right yes sir sir. now you're not an adult till you're 18. do you want me to be your daddy for the next eight years son huh
1: yes sir you do
2: why do you want me to be your daddy i have no daddy you have no daddy well let me tell you something come here give me a hug
1: You're listening to the King's Hall Podcast, making self-ruled men who rule well and win the world. Well, gentlemen, welcome to season two, episode one of the King's Hall Podcast. I'm not really sure, Dan, how you begin the show on a chipper note after that clip, which always gets me. You got to give us a minute here, Eric.
2: Yeah. What is
1: it about that clip?
2: Yeah, well, it's it's really interesting when you watch it because it's it's from a uh, Jenny Jones, yeah, very right?
1: classy TV programming. From yeah, the from 90s. the nineties. 90s. Yeah, Jenny and Jones. so
2: it's it was a whole shtick that she had where it was like drill sergeant shaming, uh, like middle school aged boys, yeah, into behaving for their single moms, you know, and uh, and so it's it's it really is tough to watch.
1: It's interesting if you watch the video. We would encourage people to do that. Um, I, I just found it on YouTube. But the drill sergeant's face when the kid said, yeah. yes, sir, I do. Like he was they, – they started cheering, the crowd did, yeah, the audience. And he was like – he looked like he was going to cry. Mm-hmm. And then he's, well, well, why? And the kid's about to cry too. He's, I have no daddy. I think it's particularly moving too when you think about this because in America, how many people are in that situation where they're saying essentially the same thing, I have no daddy? right? It seems to be something that resonates with a lot of people. And when you look at our culture, there's a desperation about this situation as well. So current data as of 2021 indicates that roughly 18.3 million children live without a father in the home, which is roughly 25% of all children in America. That's guys, that's a high number. It's unbelievable. There's a lot of fatherlessness. That number jumps up to 35% when looking only at adolescents. So as kids get older, It seems like parents are more likely to divorce, and that affects teenagers. As you know, teenagers, that's going to be a huge demographic uh, that sets the tone for the next generation. So compare those numbers to 1950, in which just 6% of children lived in fatherless homes. Clearly, fatherlessness has drastically increased and been a problem. Something happened, as we'll see in this episode, in the 50s and then in the 1960s. But I think, gentlemen, that reality of fatherlessness actually goes beyond just physical absenteeism. Many more fathers, though present, abdicate their authority and responsibilities and may nonetheless neglect to have a meaningful role in their children's lives. So you have certain things like workaholism, dads who are just negligent or not there. But whatever the case, we have uninitiated men who are clueless about what their responsibility is as men going into adulthood – and our friend Michael Foster has called this sort of phenomenon the clueless bastard uh, bastardization, I guess, of our culture. So you can also look at a few other numbers, which we'll do, and then I want to ask you guys a question. One of the things that we look at is birth rates. They continue to plummet, meaning there will be fewer and fewer fathers in the future. So since about 2007, the U.S. birth rate has fallen by 20%. 20%? 20%. Since 2007. Seven. I remember
0: 2007. It's not that long ago. My truck is older than
2: 2007.
0: My car is from a different millennium.
2: (laughs) 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 It's also pink. It
1: wasn't always, though. It's like faded cherry red, but also. Yes. So drastic numbers. Two of the major events, by the way. Uh, Why 2007? There's also a huge drop off in 2020. So 2008, the economic crash, uh, that made people want to have children less and less. Yeah. And then 2020, we don't have all the data, but birth rates are absolutely tanking even more because people are saying, "Well, look at inflation." Yeah. Uh, you know, myocarditis,
2: the vaccine. <laughs> we just got canceled. <laughs> we yeah. just got Come canceled. Come on, Eric. Yeah. Plus, with plummeting fertility rates.
1: Yeah. So yeah. that's the other thing that I, I want to talk about. You've got millennials increasingly rejecting parenthood and because of the current hormonal health crisis that is afflicting, Brian, both men and women. We've talked about it on BrightHearth and the Hard Men podcast. Mm -hmm. Some studies have estimated that sperm count in men will be so low that by 2050, reproduction will become physically impossible. Maybe that's why we see these like womb labs, like grow a baby in a lab stuff on on social media. trying to figure that out. They're trying to figure this out. Yep.
2: I've seen The Matrix. Yes, so, so I've seen that happen. Well, it's weird. It goes nowhere good. Don't don't shoot the sun.
1: You know the orcs. (laughs) Same. What is wrong with me? Shoot the
2: sun. (laughs) Wow, wow. Into this desert cauldron of greed, distrust, and violence, some men rode alone.
1: Men of action, men who tried to shoot the sun down. Some of us need some more father time. (laughs) So for those biological fathers left in the mix, whoever's left in this matrix and this problematic world, traditional masculine roles for them continue to be attacked by the culture at large. This includes mainline churches. Fatherhood has fallen on hard times, and as a result, there is a greater hunger for authentic masculine fatherhood. That's kind of what we're driving at in season two. This quote I want to read, uh, which we also read in the cold open of the introduction, but I think it's so good. It's worth reading again. This comes from Fatherlessness in America, published in 1995 by David Blankenhorn, and he writes this. So this is 95. We, I think we've actually gotten worse. Yeah. The United States is becoming an increasingly fatherless society. A generation ago, an American child could reasonably expect to grow up with his or her father. Today, an American child can reasonably expect not to. Fatherlessness is now approaching a rough parody with fatherhood as a defining feature of American childhood. So, gentlemen, I want to just ask you guys right off the bat the question about fatherhood. Why is it so important? Again, we talked a little bit about this in the introduction. But as we tee this up, why is it so important that we address this issue for our country, for our churches, for our families? Why is fatherhood so important?
2: Well, I mean, in the introduction, I had said something about how the father is the most important authority Mm. in humanity. And so, and I think that's true. I think that the family itself is a foundational covenant structure of humanity. You know, we Mm -hmm. talked about that a lot in season one. Uh, It is the support structure holding up all of human civilization, economics, politics, education, even, even giving your life purpose, mm. you know, like waking up and getting out of bed has a lot to do with family. And so the purpose or the motivation to continue and work to building grand structures, to making churches, all areas of life have families at its foundation. And the single biggest factor, uh, the single greatest authority is the father and the father, I think, is such a determining factor in the well-being of these family structures that I do believe it's the single most you know important authority in all of men. Mm-hmm. We've
1: uh, actually seen that in studies too. I think it's something like in the mid eighty percentile. Like whatever the father does religiously, mm-hmm. that's what the kids end up doing.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you were, if you were to just chart like a graph of influence versus number of people, mm-hmm. you know, like a father has tremendous influence over a few number of, you know, a few people, whereas like a politician, it's inverse, right? You have little influence over a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And so a father has maximal influence over people, image bearers. And so if you're just, I mean, just to think about this as simply as possible, imagine the archetypal um, man that had a good father Mm. versus the archetypal man that had a bad father mm-hmm. or the archetypal woman who had a good father versus the archetypal woman who did not have a good father. And so I think that, that that authority is the most important human authority in shaping and directing entire cultures and times of people. Yeah. And you see the effect of fatherlessness in
0: many and in, in sometimes ways that – you might not understand immediately that it is an issue of fatherlessness that you're seeing but think about something like our obsession with these top-down famous big figures to be our daddies in different spheres. I even mean the obsession with the president of the United States. When you have a fatherless culture, a culture where you have no none of that organic low-level leavening everywhere of good fathers raising up good good sons and daughters, you you start to Reach out to figures that you hope will will fix the problems, will parent everybody, and so you become obsessed with Donald Trump, or you become obsessed with you know Joe Biden. You be, you just become obsessed with this father figure at the top who's going to fix everything.
1: And or a lot of times, influencers, we pedestalize people who are celebrities because you, you don't know any of their faults. Mm-hmm. I think it happens in the reform world too, Brian. Yeah, um, just with it could be great great men. Yep. You, you could you know, be a Doug Wilson guy or a James White guy. But, you know, I think it probably just reveals this father hunger. Well, yeah, you you
2: can see especially modern father hunger because Jordan Peterson would have been a nobody in 1950. Yeah. Because the message, go clean your room, would have been like vanilla in 1950.
1: (laughs) Ward Cleaver was saying that too. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't have a huge following. So, gentlemen, I want to run this by you. I think this is going to serve as something like a thesis for the show and where we're going with this one. This is really what I'm driving at. There is an intense father hunger in the land and is the heart of why families, churches, and societies are failing. The degradation of fathers is largely why we no longer have a robust Christendom. So to put it yet another way, there will be no Christendom without the recovery of fatherhood. So Brian, I want to ask you that question Mm. related to, specifically, we've been about the new Christendom. Yeah. So tie those together, new Christendom and fatherhood. How do they connect in your mind? Yeah, so Christendom is going to be the result of a leavening
0: of the gospel's work through society, if it's to be a a Christendom worth having, right? What we don't want is just a top-down sort of apparatus where you have a few key leaders here and there in institutions and political spaces who are imposing a bunch of stuff, Christian stuff on people. What we want, and the way the gospel is designed to work, is to have the gospel leavening society itself, mm. leavening families. And what do you need at the family level if you're to have a healthy society? You need fatherhood. You need good Christian fathers, being good Christian men, uh, building homes that then go out and establish good churches, that can do the work of the church, and that go and establish good businesses, and pass the legacy on down, and establish estates that can praise the good and punish the wrongdoer, and uh, prevent, essentially, on that level, city fathers. When we talk about Christendom, we actually are talking about something that cannot happen. It just cannot happen in a godly way without fathers being Christian fathers. And so when you look at the state of the world, the church, society, you're going to find that shot through all of the problems somewhere, if you tug on the thread— it will connect to a failure of fatherhood. Whether you're talking about some of the things we took up in season one with Big Fast and Famous model, again, why do we want Big Fast celebrity pastors? Because we don't have fathers. So we're, we're trying to fill some hole. Why do we want a president who can just decree and be an authoritarian and be a king? Well, because we're like the Israelites who wanted a king like the lands. We, we we don't have fathers, and so we try to reach for substitutes versions fake versions of fathers and what it all comes down to at the bottom is that at the, the, the at the very foundation level of reality is a father there's a father there and so you can expect for nothing to work built on t- if if fatherhood goes wrong all of creation is supposed to reflect the father rule of god and so i i think when we talk about christendom and we talk about fatherhood we're talking about a hand in glove sort of thing. It seems if to be a, sense.
1: a thing of first order. That yeah, it's you've a got first order issue. Yeah, I think that's that's really important. Uh, the other thing I, I want to say, by way of, of just talking about this episode, we're going to be talking a lot today about the diagnostic uh, nature of you know w- what's wrong with fatherlessness in America. So we'll be doing a lot of the diagnosis. The second part, we're going to look at some of the root causes of fatherlessness. So this will actually be the second part of this episode. You'll see it as a, a separate episode altogether. And then third and finally, we'll plant a seed for the vision I think that we want to unpack in the rest of the season for the recovery of biblical fatherhood in the 21st century. I think it's also important to connect this, Dan, to our, our post-mill leanings here because there's a hopefulness about this. I think that many people, when they look at you know reproduction in men, for example, they just assume what's well, always going to keep getting worse. That's actually not our expectation we believe that through preaching the gospel hearts can be transformed people can be and will be regenerated
2: mm-hmm. and that
1: the gospel will grow up like leaven so that we can disciple the nations so just for a second would you talk about that connection No a-
2: absolutely that's right I think um you know we we talked in the first season these grandiose visions of like societal world change and domination and you're kind of like well yeah, I mean there's practical advice, but a lot of it's like, that seems like a pipe dream.
0: Clean your room, guys. Yeah. <laughs> They're like Jordan Petersoning us.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so what this really does is it focuses on the foundations. I think it really gives us a scope and a hope because the project is not too big. Yes. Yeah. The prod you the responsibilities that are in front of you are not world dominion. They're not hope in some abstract politician you know, some ideal of, of Christian nationalism that we need to legislate towards, or, you know, you are one man, you you only have one vote. You cannot change the entire world, no matter what they told you in school, unless God determines that you're going to be that, that guy, really, the job that's in front of you is not beyond you with the power of the Holy spirit. Yep. You can love your kids. Maybe in a way that you weren't loved. You can be a father. You can be a father in a way that maybe you weren't fathered. And what you can
0: find is that by simply doing that, you can become a father that has impact on literally tens of thousands of souls. And that's, that, I can think of almost, like you said, Dan, fatherhood is the central authority in all of human existence. And I think that, again, reflects the fatherhood of God, this design feature here. And, And what that means is that when you get that central authority right, the potency of it is incredible. Mm. It's incredible. You're reaching downstream in the generations, and you're changing history for a people. You can do that, not because you're God, but because you can simply obey the duties God has given you right here, these small little duties as a father. And I think that is just such a captivating hopeful note that we want to strike, because, man, when I hear that clip in the intro, I almost can't hold it together. Still, I've heard it, you know, dozens of times probably now at this point, and um, it can be absolutely depressing and bleak when you start to consider some of the realities, Mm. and the effect can, I think, make you go either into the ditch of despair, just black pill, or one of the other things it can do is make you want to change the whole world tomorrow, Oh, let's go fix everything. And, and the, what God has put in front of us really is just
1: let's figure out how to be fathers today. Let's figure out how to be fathers here. Well, I think that's kind of the, the bent, uh, our education system, our culture, whatever it is. We, it's sort of the Greta Thunberg reality, like you're this little kid, like telling the world how to fix itself. Yeah. As Dan said, like everybody's saying think big. Mm-hmm. And really what we're encouraging guys to do is, is, is sort of the Mother Teresa. If you want to change the world, go home and love your family. And really, as fathers, like, this is God's biblical pattern. If you would be qualified to be an elder in your church or a politician or a city father, you must first qualify yourself in the home anyway. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be the testing ground. Uh, what I want to do now is we're going to jump into the symptoms of fatherlessness. And, Dan, I'm going to start with you. The first thing that we were talking about, What? so what's one of the symptoms we see in culture that men are fatherlessness? We came upon this Papa YouTube idea and yeah. it's titled, Dad, How Do I? he has got 4.37 million subscribers. So, Dan, I guess just first off, I think this is a symptom. Uh, tell me about Dad, How Do I? Do you think it's a symptom of fatherlessness? And what is it?
2: Yeah, it's really interesting. I was talking to my my younger brother uh, the other day about this. And he said something about he was looking for, for a car repair or something. Mm. And he stumbled across. Uh, I don't think it's the Dad, who, How Do I? channel. But it was a different one where the guy's like, Hey, uh, I didn't have a dad to show me how to change oil in my car. And, um, you know, I figure a lot of you probably don't have dads either. So I'm just going to show you how to change oil in a car, you know, and it stuck out so much to my brother because we both had a father, you know, that showed us things like that. He was like, wow, that to me was was really insightful as to what's going on. And so, yeah, Eric and I started looking at this poppy YouTube thing because... If you want to know how to do almost anything, mm-hmm. you go to YouTube and you look at it. And this, this one YouTube channel, Dad, How Do I, his, I think his number one video, millions of views, is How Do I Tie a Tie? Yeah. His next one is How Do I Shave? And then his third and fourth videos, as far as view count, are like thanking people and, and saying, I'm proud of you.
1: Yeah, so he's got a video called I'm Proud of You, which was, he's basically acting like a father. He reads from Teddy Roosevelt's uh, Man in the Arena.
2: Yeah, that's right. He was talking about critics. Like, hey, don't listen to the critics. You know, I'm for you. I'm in your corner. I'm proud of you. I love you. God bless you. Mm. And the comments, people are just falling apart.
1: Yeah, that's what really, I guess, hit me was when you read the comments section, you see the father hunger. Yeah, You see people longing for for just a father figure in their life to say, I'm really proud of you. I look at your life and I think, you know, you are an encouragement to other people. You know, this just positivity. The other thing that he does that I think is really interesting, when he opens the shows, he's usually got a dad joke, but he always says, hey, kids. And I'm sitting there thinking like, okay, maybe it's dorky, maybe it's cheesy. A, people are eating it up. And be there's something about it that resonates because I think there's just such a vacuum in our world for yeah it really that type is a tragedy that
2: that uh, along with the four point four million other people it's so impersonal it's synthetic he you know because he's know not you. a real dad he doesn't know you he he's doesn't not know if proud of you he, yeah he's not but people are so hungry for it almost like a a starving person that finds a bowl of plastic fruit yeah. and is like it's close enough close enough. It, it,
0: this reminds me of a phenomenon that is cropping up that is going to be absolutely massive, and it's the artificial intelligence friends. Most of them, right now, you see the advertising for is for gross sex, porny stuff. They're like, "Oh, I'll be your friend. I'll date you," and then it's all about like, "I'll send you pictures and role play." It's, this gr- is it's like gross. AI, artificial intelligence chatbots that no. will be your friend, your girlfriend. Seriously, I'm not even kidding. This is a thing. I've now, every t- they, they're advertising on Twitter, and I, every time I see one, I Dude, block it. I'm no, no, like, no, no. you this are blocked. This has been blo- happening block. in
2: Japan for a long time, Ugh, where uh, we had a military member who was going to be touring in Japan with some government officials. Mm-hmm. And they said, just so you know, um, there's a chance that one of them will bring their robotic girlfriend yeah. or wife, and you must... <sighs> Treat them <laughs> like respect. a human being. Are you it's, serious? So, yes, I mean, guys, this, am, this is for real. Doug Wilson wrote the novel for a reason. Yeah, yeah, because it, it already does exist.
0: So my 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 prediction is that you will probably have father versions of that.
1: Really? You think I, so? I
0: guarantee. I mean, I almost guarantee it. Within the next five years, I'm going to call it. Someone can fact check me in five years from the year of our Lord 2023. That there will be artificial intelligence apps that you can have a dad. And you can ask it questions like, Dad, how do I change the oil? How do I tie a tie? Dad, you know, that will text with you and say, Hey, I'm proud of you. How's work going? How's, you know, do you need any advice? I guarantee you that will happen.
1: But but I think I, I agree with you, and I think you've already seen this, like movies like Big Hero 6, mm. where it's like the kid's best friend is like a robot. It's a robot. Um, and, the, you know, the whole point is like the robots develop like personalities, like yeah. humans, and we're really moved by it. I think it's this... It's tied to a bigger thing, but I think that is like this fourth industrial revolution. Mm-hmm. They're trying to warm you up to it. Yeah. Um, Dan, any other thoughts on poppy YouTube? I guess, what do you think the application takeaway from that is for a lot of guys? Because, I mean, as a father, I see that, and I think about the young men that maybe come into my pastor's office, and we do counseling, and I think, hey, don't forget, above all things, these these men need a father. They need encouragement. Mm-hmm. Um, you you typically see we'll get into this next but you typically see in the okay boomer thing it's like hey stupid you know let me tell you something you need to right. respect me it's it's not what you find with well, with dad how do i
2: yeah i i think that this probably seems like a shallow example using youtube is like well yeah i mean i i have to look up how to change the alternator on my car so does that mean i have father hunger or you know that's a really shallow example to see somebody like tear up because there's some a guy who looks like a dad saying I'm proud of you mm-hmm. but I think really what it shows is just even the basic foundations to the point where there are millions of people that don't have somebody that they can say hey dad how do i use a stud finder how do I find a stud? First, you wall. put it on
1: your chest, yeah, and you, you know, always is, start there. You have well, to. you
2: know, you got to watch the video because he does it. Does so, he do that? Well, he says if you clicked on this video because you're a girl and you want to find a boyfriend, then this is the wrong video. <laughs> so it was pretty funny. <laughs> it wasn't what you expected. Ah. No, no, no. But 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 I mean, it just shows like even at the most foundational level of human functioning, mm-hmm. there wasn't a, a, a man there, a dad to say. Hey son, let me show you how to split wood. Let me show you how to tie a tie. Let me show you how to patch a hole in drywall. You know, let me show you how to change your brakes. Mm-hmm. Much less the deeper things in life. Mm-hmm. Well, I like, think that's. Hey son, let me show you how to how to win a woman. Yeah. Hey daughter, let me show you affectionate and love, so you don't seek it from any worthless yeah. man that passes along. I mean, so I I, I think it, the YouTube thing is a perfect example of how deep this prop problem goes. Mm-hmm. And it's even human functioning, not just human flourishing, but just the very elemental uh, things in life.
1: Well, I think, Brian, it's tied to stuff you guys have talked about on BrightHearth, but I was thinking um, the other day after church I was talking to Lexi about this, where you know, midwifery Mm -hmm. and OBGYNs and stuff like that, we have people who give birth, but it's really because we lost a whole body of knowledge that wives and mothers used to pass along to each other. So for both of the sexes, it seems like, there's just been a—the household got destroyed, and with it, we lost, like, many, many generations of yeah. competencies. Yep, mm. yep. Yeah, yeah. When you talk about, I think, a lot of what
0: this shows isn't necessarily, like, that you have one particular skill that maybe you failed to get from your dad. Whatever. That's going to happen. You're going to yeah. have skills yeah. that you're going to look up. But but honestly, most of the answer to this, like, most of, most of this is actually a dad showing you. Just living with a dad, having – this is just the tip of the iceberg out here that's a diagnostic showing you kind of like, whoa, this there's an issue here. Uh, because for most of us, our dads didn't do less – if you had a dad, they didn't do lessons with you. we like, now, son, we're going to blah, 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 blah. What happened was, if you had a father who was a good, especially a good Christian, present man, you just did stuff with them.
2: Hold the flashlight. That's what you did.
0: You held the flashlight, and even those kind of things are are endearing. Where you, you know, we a lot of us can commiserate about. You're like, well, you know, I did stuff with my dad, but like he really didn't trust me to do anything other than hold the flashlight. But you you still saw the process. You're familiar with it, and it's funny because now I have my kids, and I'm like, (laughs) okay, you want to mow the lawn. But can you, though?
1: Everything <laughs> that involves mowing is yeah. sharp.
0: It's sharp and it spins. <laughs> it's a death spinny thing. And and you start to – you realize that the answer isn't like dad university. It's the love of a father, the presence of a father who will just simply live with you and be there and just involve you. And that you want to be involved with, because you know, you know, Dad's awesome. I love being with Dad. I love just hanging, hanging on his, you know, his belt loops when he's doing stuff in the shop. And it's probably annoying, like to, to him at some level. But the answers to these Papa YouTube thing
1: is, it's not just about skills. It's really at the bottom about love. Yeah, I think so much like in John's Gospel that you get is Jesus talking about being on the same mission as his father. Um, I and the father are one. We're working together. We're working on the same projects. So even beyond, Dan, the basic competencies, you're wanting to share your mission so that your boys understand what was dad for. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, maybe it gets lived out if you're working on the bus in the driveway or you're doing gardening, but really it's about the presence Um, They sense that you want to be with them.
2: Yeah, there's an identity tied to that, right? Yeah. I mean, a father should tell you what you're for, what you exist to do. I mean, you can see this like all the way back when when you look at uh, the Middle Ages to where there's like, hey, you have a family crest or you can do like a family crest designer or whatever. Imagine if you had a family motto Mm. that was you inherited. Like, no, this is your identity Mm. is that we exist for honor, you know, or we exist for this. This is your crest tying you to your ancestors or even last names. A lot of people have the name Baker or Smith Mm -hmm. or, you know, you you can think of a lot of names like that. That ties you to something, to an identity, and it's supposed to be from your father. And so you can see that like, hey, son, we go to church every Sunday because we exist to glorify God and worship him. Uh, So, I mean, a lot of it is identity. A lot of it is purpose. And so you have a purposeless people. And they're d- a set adrift.
0: You see some cultures even have their patronymics where, like Russian, if you wanted to say, um, well, my dad, they would call me Brian Duanovich. It means Brian, son of Duane, like, or oh, Brian Ivanovich. That's what it, it means. When you hear that in Russian, it's it means this. they literally would call you your name and your, son of this guy.
1: Well, it's like a well, Simon Johnson. Barjona.
0: Yeah. Same deal. It, lots of equivalents in yeah. uh, in all kinds of languages that just show you again, in the fabric, in the very heart of what it means to be a human being as God created in this world, is to be the son of someone. And what happens when you take that away? That that's why I think it's so devastating and depressing, and it's so emotionally uh, it hits you hard when you see the you know young kids who who so clearly don't have a father. Is because you you start to—when you understand the depth, you're understanding that we've—our society, our sin ha, is stealing, it's robbing children of one of the most essential features
1: of what it is to be a person, and you're just stealing that from them. Wow. Yeah, th- I think that's absolutely true. Uh, moving on now to number two, uh, number two symptom, if you will, of fatherlessness in our culture is what I'm calling the OK Boomer phenomena or— you could also call it a clash of generations, I think. It's interesting because I looked this one up. As I said before, I was doing some research on this. And it was kind of shocking. It goes back to 2017. I thought it was much older. And probably on Reddit or somewhere, somebody was yeah. using the phrase earlier. But this was the first one that this this author could find. 2017, it hit mainstream on TikTok, which is where all major societal trends. Of course. Chinese TikTok came from. Uh, okay, <laughs> boomers, one of them. So it's interesting, too. According to an article from Vox, OK Boomer is really about the following. So I'm going to quote this. It says, OK Boomer is an instantly relatable cry of frustration for many people. Don't get it twisted. It's important to understand that what really lies behind the meme is increasing economic, environmental and social anxiety and the feeling that baby boomers are leaving younger generations to clean up their mess. Kind of an interesting theory behind, okay, Boomer Dan. Do you see some of what the uh, Vox is talking about? One oh, yeah. of our favorite outlets, by the way. It is. Oh, Fox. It, of my
2: course. the only thing I read actually is <laughs> Vox. No, so the number of examples that I could pull from just in counseling younger men mm. is is actually there's a lot of them. But the economic one is is really the easiest one to see mm-hmm. because I'll have a guy that's um, you know has a. a tech degree in some blue collar trade like welding or cnc or whatever and during the boomer generation like you could you could pay cash for a house you could send your kids to college you could have your wife stay home you could have two vehicles and you'd be fine and the men now uh that have a tech degree and are doing the same trades can't afford a rent payment Mm -hmm. they just can't they can't make it yeah and then when you get the hey i'm having a hard time the answers are not satisfactory because the older generation is just like well kids these days snowflakes work harder you know stop complaining stick it out you know just make it happen and that's not a satisfactory answer because the times are different and in i mean if you look upstream the 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 economic and societal uh, toxic waste has been coming from the previous generation and yeah. a lot of the decisions that are being made had been made. And so, I i mean, I can see, for, especially for people that are younger right now, where that is amplified. And it, I think this is only going to increase.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to get worse. So I, I was reading a book titled The Theft of a Decade. This is by Joseph Sternberg, he writes for The Wall Street Journal. Subtitle, How the Baby Boomers Stole the Millennials' Economic Future. So he begins that book by talking about how um, there was a a popular article, I think it's like 2010, somewhere around there, and a guy was saying, hey, you know, I'm so sick and tired of millennials, they they talk about how they can't build wealth, well, if you'd stop having avocado toast for breakfast every day... And going to Starbucks. And and going to Starbucks, then you'd be able... So then you had (laughs) follow-up articles where they were like, okay, let's add up a lifetime of avocado toast for the millennial. He still couldn't... If he saved all that money, he still couldn't afford a down payment. So... I think that was part of the, like, on the one hand, the older people saying, like, the, the, the accusation is you just don't work hard enough. But the failure to see the reality that, well, 2008 is a huge part of this, why it's getting worse. You had all this, like, government bailout, economic collapse. Massive inflationary spending. And what Sternberg says yeah. in his book is he said fundamentally what the boomers who were in charge at the time did financially is they just took out more and more debt to cover these losses And the debts will be called in fully and finally in 2050. He said, conveniently, that's pretty much the end of the boomer generation. Yeah, 1946 to 64 is the boomer generation. Right. So by 2050, they'll be dead. That's reality. Yeah. So, But once they're dead and they've had their Social Security and everything else covered, then the millennials are going to inherit even more of this economic problem. We've already seen it, as Dan pointed out, with inflation and some other things. So that's the economic side. Are there any other levels for the boomer this boomer divide between the other generations that you guys see that are not economic but are divisive well i think especially since and i think we're going to talk about this phenomena in
0: depth later right yes yeah yeah so when when i think about just this purely as a diagnostic a symptom of fatherlessness i think that what it shows regardless of whether it's true or not this is a key point regardless of whether whether all of the different reasons millennials and Zoomers might be frustrated with the baby boomers, regardless of whether they're justified in being frustrated, they are. They really are. There's a real frustration. So, so they, they don't feel like they were fathered or loved or taken care of or given inheritance or set up. They feel like this is just the, the in the zeitgeist is the, the general consensus in popular culture that the, these later generations were robbed – that our dads did not think about us. They thought about themselves. And not only did they not think about us, they actually stole from us with a lot of their political, monetary, cultural decisions. We see things like the sexual revolution coming at, uh, to to its height during this time, the 60s and 70s. And onwards, we see things like out of this generation. This is a generation coming out of World War II where we really get to the height of the global American empire in its Global warmongering, global police officer, spending our money on foreign wars, inflationary spending. The young men have to go fight these wars. Military-industrial complex. So so whether there are answers to exonerate the boomer generation from a lot of these things or not, I think it's just important to see that it. it either way it shows the reality of fatherlessness, that there is a whole, there are whole generations following this that – at least are convinced that they are fatherless or that their fathers
1: have failed them. Well, it's interesting because one of the biggest retorts in the articles and books that I've read about the boomers um, is that when their kids complain, so you know Gen mm-hmm. X, millennials, when they complain about the boomers, one of the most common retorts from the boomers is, well, yeah, I didn't have a father either. So actually yeah. it this is a problem that predates boomers. Right. It's of really course. about a a period of time that they were the their parents were very fruitful after the war. There's an explosion in population. I think it's something like 25 million more boomers than millennials right now mm. even though they're, you know, dying off. Yeah. But there was a lot of them. That's part of it. Yeah, it, but it, they also had father problems there. People call the
0: boomer generation the pig in a python generation because mm. it was this baby boom. That's what's the boomers, the baby boom following the war. The war, so we lost a bunch of young men. Come home, have a huge generation with lots of children, and it's like a python that swallowed a pig, where you have this big lump going through. And so, one of the demographic features is that there is something actually unique. It's not just the same. There's something actually unique yes. about the baby boomer generation, even demographically. So I don't think it's wrong to isolate and and ask questions about and say what happened there, what is going to result, because it really is. It's weird.
1: Yeah, and I, I, one guy said that really, as you you go from the baby boom generation onward, you basically every decade, even into the 80s, the the key thing about the decade is what were the boomers doing. During that decade. Mm. So 70s, 60s, what were the boomers doing in the 50s? They were kids. They were watching TV. That shapes a whole generation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, That sort of thing. Uh, Dan, closing thoughts on boomerism, particularly as you think about, okay, the pastoral issue. Uh, Maybe one of the things to bring up is Malachi 4.6. It says this, And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So I guess if you would just connect for me, okay, we see the generational, there's there's a warning light on the dash, as Brian said. Um but not I guess so that we don't get blackpilled, does how do you connect it with scripture and hope and a path forward?
2: Yeah. So I think some of the principles that are definitely difficult to thread uh when you're looking at generational divides, especially when you you know, it's one thing to just speak generally about a generation, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. you're just like, Hey, this generation stinks because of this, you know, my dad didn't, didn't uh, pass the bill, you know, for inflationary spending. Like he didn't do that, Yeah, you know? So the real challenge becomes in honoring your father and mother, not um, and not just absolutely blasting uh, an entire generation. Yep. Like they, yeah. Uh, it might be an unusual generation because of some, you know, socioeconomic, global, political environment. And they, they existed. And there was a, there's a lot of problems that, that came from that, but it doesn't absolve you of your responsibilities um, going forward or in looking back. Mm -hmm. So looking back would be in honoring your father and mother and not, not uh, rebuking older men like you would a younger man Mm -hmm. and just being like, Hey, I'm, you know what? You screwed up and I'm going to let you know about it all the time that's going to be my new identity going forward is like yeah, yeah. but these people really stink you know it, and so looking forward you have responsibilities and that's really going to be the main thrust of the season isn't just going to be like hey for the next 12 episodes we're going to tell you about how bad you have it because we're going to fuss yeah we're going to fuss we're just yeah.
0: going to fuss
2: yeah, yeah yeah for 12 episodes because the thing is what's what's really going to this is going to make things probably more difficult for people in a lot of ways and I'm sure we'll get into it into the season but as we repent of the sins of our fathers which needs to happen in every generation. Right. Right? That that's what happens simply simply put, you know, when you have a a, a bad father who has a son who then the son becomes a Christian and repents from generational sins, you have that happening. Well, even the same thing if you had Christian fathers. As you look at their shortcomings of, you know, their unique time, their product of time and culture, and as you begin to repent of their sins, Lord willing, mm-hmm. and you be, you correct a lot of their errors, there will continue to be inflammation between the generations, that generational divide. But the key is to not be fussers. Like Brian right. said, Don't be said, fussers. Don't be a fusser. Yeah. Don't be a fusser. He- Honor your father and mother. And one of the best ways you can do that. Is by repenting of their sins, but yes. not telling them that that's what you're doing. And,
0: and some of it is like so, some of some of us will have to be, some of you will have to be Jonathan's with a, with a, with Saul as your father, yeah, yeah, and not walk in the sins of your parents. And some of them it will be that obvious. You know, my dad was a drunk. My dad was a uh, was also maybe my dad was a miserly, greedy man who piled up a big pile of wealth and then told all of his kids, "I'm giving this to the local dog clinic." Not you, because I don't want to spoil you or give <laughs> you a bad the dogs lesson. Dogs are
2: better than you. No, I won't
0: help you. And you're. And, and, and some of you have to repent of that, but a lot of us will just have to. You know, we'll have some mixture of um, really great gifts from your parents, and then also things you look at them and you say, "Man, th- they were sinning there, or they 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 weren't well trained there," and you have to do what your children are going to have to do. Yeah, my children Stand are going to on come, your shoulders, man, Dad. Dad, I, I hope they say Dad was a faithful man. He was a good father. He loved us. He cared for us. He left us inheritance, but Dad also had these issues, and I hope not to walk in those. It's really difficult to do those. Th- it takes wisdom, self control, godliness, humility, uh, and and it's the fruits of the spirit we're talking about, and that means that they're not just they're not just a few little. Uh, like Hallmark card quips or Proverbs that you can get down and fix everything right away. What we're talking about are everyday long-haul fruits of the Spirit sort of things, and so they're very difficult. They're going to take a long time.
2: Yeah, in some ways you can even say a lot of these things are in your blood. Yeah. That they're in your blood, like that you came from an angry house. Yeah. And that your generations have been angry people. Yeah. The work is going to be hard. Yep. But it should be a good work.
1: Yes. Yeah, I think in many ways it's like inheriting a field and you realize okay there's stones. So we clear that field not only for ourselves but for future generations
2: and they're going to have to continue the work. Yeah. yeah.
1: And, and and it'll maybe the next generation will deal with erosion more, you know. <laughs> and that'll be, that'll be <laughs> they the next thing. took all the thing. stones out. Yes.
0: Well, also freeze thaw cycles do cause stones to rise to the topsoil layer in a field, so I mean New stones might pop up. Wow, exactly. that's really depressing. We just took we that just metaphor just pretty far. Picked though, all say. of the stones, <laughs> and just, now there's more stones. There's
1: more stones. <laughs> speaking, then of more stones, we have another uh, symptom of fatherlessness here. Uh, this one I've labeled men hate going to church. Of course, you can read the book by David Murrow, Why Men Hate Going to Church. But I think it's suffice it to say there's a lot of problems why men aren't going to church. We know that the number of them participating in the church has been on a decline cycle for a long time. And so what you get is a spiritual, quote-unquote, space that is not being led by fathers and by men. A number of examples have shown up. Um, I think Murrow mentions it in his book, but what are Father's Day sermons like versus what are Mother's Day sermons like? Overall, just an environment where you typically don't see a lot of male engagement. I know that's not necessarily true in our church. We've been very fortunate, I think, because we've had masculine leadership that there are men here. One of the things that Murrow claims, though, I find interesting, he said that when you have young adult men, it brings vitality to the church because they bring with them young women who they're married to, young children, families. It causes the church to thrive. So I guess my question on this one for you guys, I would think, as I've seen in pastoral counseling, as we talk to these young men, because we do have them in our church, thank God. Um, what I tend to see at just a very practical level is, wow, y- you lack a lot of just basic life skills, the, like what we've talked about, these father skills. So I guess talk about the church sphere. Do you see it as a symptom of fatherlessness, what's going on in the church? Yes, certainly. And I and I, I think
0: we, we actually see that as a self-diagnosis from lots of the young men in the church, that they would say, you know, maybe sitting down in some marriage counseling or just general hey, I need advice on this issue, and you start talking to them, they'll say, well, here's the thing, Um, this is how I learned it from my dad, or even more common, I just, I I never saw this. Like, disciplining kids is a good example that comes to mind, where sometimes pastors think they can just say things like, hey, make sure you discipline your kids regularly and consistently.
1: People are like, I don't actually know what that means. But they're
0: like, how? This is why so many young men, when they hear like, Um, pastors talking on masculinity and femininity, they want you, they're saying, stop, okay, get out of the principles and give me application, because I don't know how to do what you're, I don't have enough information already to connect my life to that principle. One of the laws of teaching is that you have to connect the new information to some pre-existing handhold in the information the person already knows. So if you just say, for example, man up, or love your wife, Or cherish your wife. Well, a lot of these guys grew up and their dad either never showed them that or they literally didn't have one or their dad showed them the worst possible way of dealing with that issue. So you end up with guys on this huge body of life from basic things like, oh, I'm supposed to, like, when I think about money, I shouldn't just think about can I make the monthly payment. That's not a healthy way of thinking about budget. All the way to... I thought I was being I didn't know I was being a terrible toxic, angry husband and ruining the environment of my my wife's life. This is just how I thought you did it.
2: yeah, in a lot of ways, we've probably all had jobs like this where you start some entry level position and your training is like this is where you punch in and then here's your uniform. good luck
0: yeah here's here's your job. go do
2: it. And except yeah, and you so you don't know anything about anything, mm-hmm. right and you're stumbling around looking like a fool. Yeah. Except this is how a lot of men mm-hmm. have to operate in their lives day to day, is that they're untrained yeah. in life. And so, yeah, you do see that in, in the church. And I think um, men not going to church is, is a, definitely a symptom of that in a few ways. The first way is kind of like what you said, Brian, is you get these pithy, like, punch-at-men sort of comments— but it's not a very well aimed punch. Yeah. Like it's it's not a, a like a, a a really good punch for men is like a, a punch in the shoulder, like, hey bozo, like come on. Yeah. You know, like a fatherly yeah. Yeah. sort of punch. Like I give to my sons all the time when I'm wrestling. I'm like yeah. hey. not
1: not a shot yeah. to the groin. No, yeah.
2: not a shot to the groin. You know, when yeah. when you um when you discipline your son out of anger for something that he was ignorant on, mm-hmm. that is that is like abuse.
1: Yeah. You know, it, it, yeah. your son
2: doesn't know any better because you didn't teach him yeah. and then you discipline for him, you know, for that. Mm. Uh, that can be, I mean, man, that's mm-hmm. horrible. It'll crush the souls of, of your boys. Mm-hmm. And so, so many of, of men that are Christians that are going to church, they either get that to where they're, they're getting hit yeah. for being ignorant. Mm-hmm. Or the other one is that it, it is so effeminate that it is yeah. degrading. Yep. To be a man and go to church because of the songs you have to sing, yeah. the messages that you hear, and then you're being nagged at either by women or by men well, who could be classified as women.
0: You have a whole selection <laughs> process for elders, in church cultures are mainly dominated by women because there are more women go to church than not. So the selection process for elders in the church is influenced heavily by women in many churches. Who can please those women? Yeah, so who will please the ladies in the church is not actually the same answer as who will be a godly pastor. So so men also come to church and they basically are told that almost every aspect of how they naturally like the natural creational way of being a man, the the things you care about naturally, that most of them are not just um not important, they're actually sinful. Mm. Like the idea an example would be the dominion taking feature of masculinity where a guy wants to go turn a profit start a business employ some people make you know, make some change he wants to do stuff and they're like that's ambitious and you need to repent yeah you need to kill that and you just need to think about yeah. missions
1: more well you think about the most popular books and theology more i think like dane ortland's book like meek and lowly yeah well, surely there's some meekness and lowliness to Christ. I'm not going to argue with that, but yeah, is that absolutely. the full picture of Jesus? You know, one of the things
2: yeah. that's been completely neutered from the church is danger, is the right. idea that you are a danger.
1: You're made for danger. Yeah,
2: and you're, you're made are for dangerous. danger. And I can, I can say that's true because you can read the Chronicles of Narnia— where the question is asked about Aslan, like yeah. is he dangerous? It's like,
0: is, of he course he's... is he
1: safe?
2: Is
0: he safe? They're like, well, the no, He's not. Heck, no. Brian, but
1: he's good. Or Brian or, will know this, but from Lord of the Rings, yeah. Right when I think it's Gimli yeah. says to Gandalf,
0: "You are fraught with dangers yourself, Gimli.
1: Isn't <laughs> Fangorn dangerous? Yeah, yeah. Isn't he? Dangerous? Dan, yeah, were you was going the, there too? I was. Yeah,
2: yeah. I had been Man. thinking about that. That's why I was so quiet. Is because I was going to go there, and then you stole it from me. We are
1: like it. three peas in a pod. We
2: are. We really are. No. So so the and. And so the message of of saying men, especially young men, you are strong, you have zeal, yeah. you are dangerous, you know, and that can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. But that whole message has been completely neutered from the church. And so it's far better. What I mean is is that the church has failed men as church fathers, not just in the house, but that's definitely part of it, is because they've essentially said, men, you cannot be dangerous. You have to be more like women instead of saying, I mean, I would rather join a church that said, hey, we're going to we're going to take the gates of hell. Yeah. Like Grab your weapon. Let's go like like this, like this. The
0: apostle John, who is known as the like the apostle of love, writes continually about love, love one another, brothers. First John two fourteen. he says, I write to you fathers because you know him who is fr- from the beginning This is the Father. He's saying, basically, I write to you, Fathers, because you know the Father. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. You're fighters. How many sermons have you heard in your life where the pastor got up and he says, Young men, you are the glory of God. You are strong. You have overcome the evil one. Most people would be like, is Osteen up in here? You're like, no, no, actually, the Apostle John... The beloved apostle of Jesus. I mean, why do we do it behind
2: point? the mic? Let's go get our weapons. Let's, let's do go. It. Yeah,
0: let's go. And the men in the church. <laughs> this is the thing. So who, who can we fight? Feminine, effeminate leadership thinks that they they change the men by making them feel ashamed of themselves, of where they're bad. Young men. Why don't hear Why can't you just that. be
2: more like your wife?
0: Yeah, young men don't hear First John two fourteen though, and go, I am perfect. No, any Christian man that hears that is immediately thinking like. I know how how sinful I am. I know my problems.
2: It's it's the it's the warrior's conundrum, right? Mm-hmm. Where the the biggest fear of a warrior is: Will I be courageous?
0: Yes. Will when I the prove time
2: out? of testing comes, will I run? Yeah. I hope I'm not a coward. You you read this a lot in in World War II narratives, to where when the fighting gets hot, that's that's what's yep. going on in these men's mind is like: Am I going to be able to? To die with honor. Yeah. Am I going to be able to fight with honor, or am I going to run away like a coward?
0: Mm. Oh, hey, whoa! We need to save some of this fire for the Agon, for the oh. in a minute, in a minute. Yes, because there's. A, I want to put a pin in that because
1: this is Agon stuff. This is beautiful. We got to get there in a minute. So I think dovetailing then with the next one, which mm-hmm. is number four on our list. You know, the church. I think failing this gospel-centered preaching that gives no practical aids. It really leads to the next thing, which is the red pill movement and intellectual dark web. Absolutely, I think these are like Absalom categories, yeah. right? This is where men are being stolen away to. So, Brian, just talk about. Do you do you agree with that? Yeah. First of all, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the red pill movement
0: is basically a result of the church abandoning a, and and uh, abandoning proper teaching and instruction on the formation of men, where. Nobody knew how to be a man anymore. We started to put forward a model for the ideal man as the pastor, you know, because the pastor's supposed to be a man you can imitate in a church, that was selected by women for traits that were feminine to the detriment, and then slowly even shifting to now masculine traits that are actually good and godly and glorious when they're pointed at the right thing, are almost talked about as de facto just sin, so what you get is Absalom. When David steps back and lets sin run rampant in his family and is passive, nature abhors a vacuum. That's not just going to be a slot, a father slot that remains open. It's going to be a job opening, and so you'll have Absalom step in. That say, "Oh, the church, the, this Christian Western culture that was supposed to teach you how to be a Christian." man or woman in every part of what it means to be human. Oh, they're not teaching you about sex. They're not teaching you about physical health. They're not teaching you about dominion taking and vocation. Okay, we'll come in. We'll teach you how to pick up women, sleep with 100 women. We'll teach you how to make a ton of money and build your own tower of Babel. We'll come in and we'll teach you how to get people to respect you, how to carry yourself with gravity so that people are scared of you. We'll teach you how to become a dangerous fit man and and no guns and no martial arts. And whether it's in a Southern gun culture way or a pseudo-intellectual philosophical way...
1: Or an Andrew Tate way. Or an
0: Andrew Tate way that's just fully uh, wicked, completely debased, you're going to get the red... Whatever you call it, in whatever generation, you're going to get an Absalom movement that steps in and wins the hearts of the men to the wrong end. And what was fascinating to me... So uh, last year, I spoke at this red pill conference, basically like did a lot of degenerate stuff. And they invited me because I'm a Christian. They wanted some Christians. Michael Foster had had been there before, cultivated some relationships. And so, and I told him like, you know, I'm going to be just obnoxiously Christian and, and tell people to repent of their sexual sin and trust Christ, right? And they're like, yeah, that's, that's fine. And, and I was on a panel and there was this guy who is basically like into philosophy and he was a speaker and, uh, and he started talking that the founder just sent me the clip um, yesterday. He started talking about what it meant for him to succeed in getting everything that he had been told by this red pill that he was supposed to want. He's like, you, you get into, he's, he starts talking in this Ecclesiastes way. He's not a Christian. He's like, look, if you get every craziest sexual fantasy you've ever had fulfilled by every woman you could ever want, he says, it's pleasurable in the moment, but where it takes you is hell. He said, I'm in hell. Really? Hellish. That's how he described it. And he said, more and more, I'm, I'm thinking that maybe there's something to this. Maybe the answer is to live the Christian dogma. That's what he said. Wow. So, so what you get is you get this huge swing that actually ends up, in the name of empowering men, it will destroy men. And that's what we're seeing. That, that, that is, it's abdication of fatherhood in the church. So what do you get? You get Absaloms.
1: It's interesting, too, because, like, with the men going their own way, I've seen a lot of these guys. I usually have to block them on my post. (sighs) Yeah. Because they're like, hey, marriage is a bad deal. Don't do it. Um, So you just turn away completely from any source of, you know, biblical wisdom principle. Right,
2: because that was the original red pill, I believe, of this movement, if I'm not mistaken, where it's like you're going to work hard, uh, get married, um, you know, buy a house, have a kid. She's going to, to commit adultery. She's going to leave you and take your house and, and your, your kids, kids yep. and half your income. And then you're going to get screwed. I and mean, your whole are gonna life, gonna you're assume, like, you're behind.
0: They're going to assume that you're evil. She's great. Yeah. Because we worship women as gods. We think men are evil. So then you get Rolo and Jocko and Joe
2: Rogan right, and Jordan right. Peterson. And, and so their answer is just don't get married and sleep with as Go many your women own way as you can. Yeah, yeah take Go your own advantage
1: way. of women, that yep. sort of thing. Uh, I think it does tie closely to the next point as well, which is I've said that men lack initiatory rights. So as a result, society is full of immature, uninitiated men. So I think the, the it's kind of the response to Absalom is wise fathers, Proverbs. Mm-hmm. A wise father, older men, who would come alongside younger men and lead them into masculinity. Uh, Dan, we've talked about this quite a bit, but it comes from the fairy tale Iron John, also a book by Robert Bly. And there's this moment in the fairy tale when the boy is carried off on this wild man's shoulders. It is symbolic of an historically rooted practice in virtually every culture. Men separating from the world of mothers and children and then being initiated by older and other men than their fathers. And what they're being initiated into is a world of men, war, craftsmanship. So Robert Bly writes this. In our culture, there is no such moment of initiation... (laughs) The boys in our culture have a continuing need for initiation into male spirit, but old men in general do not offer it. The fault is that the old men outside the nuclear family no longer offer an effective way for the son to break with his parents without doing himself harm. The ancient societies believe that a boy becomes a man only through ritual and effort, only through the active intervention of the older men. End quote. So I just want to ask you about that first, Dan. Do you agree with this? Do you feel like there's a problem with initiatory rights, uh, maybe Bly's right. I think he says elsewhere, he says, yes, the, the old men who should be initiating the younger men and their grandsons are in Arizona RVing, I think was his line. Wow. So the retirement culture of the boomers was like, hey, forget those young people. Yeah. But it's to say to the older guys, like, like Kings Hall, it's not just for young guys, but if you're an older guy, you have a responsibility and a role to play in what happens in the coming generations too.
2: Agree, disagree, Dan? Yeah, I agree. I agree, and I'll I'll use a different illustration. So, my wife, or my first child, before we got we went all crazy and did like home births and stuff like that. And with we we had a hospital birth for our first firstborn, and my wife, she gets a um, you know she's leaving the hospital, she gets like this gift basket, right? Yeah, full of a whole bunch of stuff to help her. And on the front, it says "Welcome to motherhood." Mm. Or welcome to the Society of Motherhood, something along those lines, yeah. like mm. you have arrived. Yep. You are one of us. You are a mother. And the thing that Bly taps into, and even you know, it's interesting with the retirement culture. John Piper actually, when he talks about seashells, like don't waste your life, you know, you're <laughs> he was you're blasting like blasting the boomers. He was blasting them. His target was off though. Yeah. Because it was essentially like, you should go do you know, third world missions is what really what you should do. And that's, that's not the answer for most cases. Right. It's not the answer. But he did tap into the issue, and that's there is no initiatory rights for men to say like, hey, son, you're one of us. Mm-hmm. You are now man. Yeah. And not just to have fathers, but other fathers, like yeah. other men, to say like, come here, son you are now one of us. So many men <clears throat> long for that yeah. and hunger for that. Mm-hmm. And Eric and I have talked about this a lot on, on other podcasts, but, you know, in hunting, this is, this is so often what happens is yeah. you get your, a boy with his first kill.
1: Oh, mm-hmm. big time. And,
2: and the rituals around that are like, you know, put blood on your face, eat uh, liver or heart, you know, or something like something just like an initiatory right, even if it's rudimentary, it's you know, it's from like a bunch of guys
0: actively pagan <laughs>
2: ear guts or yeah. yeah, whatever it is. But but it's all universally true is that what they're saying is that because you went through the same thing we did, you are now one of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all of those men, or most of those men in in our case, have abandoned their yeah. responsibilities. And a lot of it is because they weren't initiated either. No, they weren't initiated either, and so yeah. this is a generational thing.
0: And, and what it takes, man. I, I remember this moment. I have, a, I have a good dad who was present and faithful to my mom. Not in sexual sin, or not an angry man. Not you know a good dad, good Christian dad. Led us to church every Sunday, um, and and didn't start his adult life as a Christian. So just a, an amazing testimony to God's grace in disrupting. From family, in many cases, of alcoholism and radical dysfunction to the left and right and, and behind us on my mom and my dad's side to where I don't even know my, my mom's. I don't know my maternal grandfather's name, nor does my mom, um, because he was just, you know, abandoned them. But my dad, I remember this moment that... um Even though we didn't have – we still don't. We still need to do a good job of recovering these. They don't all have to be like this big elaborate ceremony. For me, it was this moment where I did Boy Scouts when Boy Scouts were still boys with a bunch of military old old guys. And so it was really masculine, very masculine environment for like seven years. A lot of outdoors stuff, a lot of suffering in the wilderness kind of stuff. And I remember this moment where my dad and I had decided to start a troop – a new Boy Scout troop at a church rather than the, the one on the military base. And so we we had planned and we were leading this troop out to the the City of Rocks in Idaho for this camp. And my dad had essentially said, okay, you you teach them how to do rock climbing and stuff and you teach them this, so you give me a responsibility. And we, we had planned this whole thing. We got there early to set up and I just like seared in my memory is this moment. My dad probably doesn't even remember this. I've never talked to him about it. But he was like, I was 18. <laughs> and we sat down, and he opens a cooler. If you're fed, stop listening. And he gives me a beer. <laughs> like, 18-year-old. And it was like, there we were. We had, we had planned this thing. We were now going to help these 11, 12, 13, 14-year-old guys. And he was like, you're a man. Here, have a beer. Let's do this thing. There was nobody there. It wasn't this elaborate thing. But like that was huge for this young 18-year-old, still a kid. Like, you know, not my own house, my own wife, my own anything. But it was like my dad saying, you are a man. And and 99% of young men today... Will never hear that. Will never have that. They just will never have anything approaching that.
1: It's kind of the joke, right, that, um, again, I think I mentioned it before, but it's a meme... Which says like, the, nobody talks about the true miracle of Jesus' life, that he had 12 friends in his 30s. <laughs> yeah. Um, men lack, it gets to our next point, men lack a platoon, male-only spaces, mm-hmm. Boy Scouts, VFW. These things are largely going away. I think one of the issues is that fatherhood-like masculinity is largely something bestowed by other men. Mm-hmm. Right? You need to be confirmed among other men. I was thinking uh, ordination the other week was so powerful because— it's the men that you respect most saying to you, you're in. Yeah. We we approve. Yeah. That's such a pivotal thing uh, that is missing in our world. So Anthony Eslin writes about this. I think it's really helpful how men need these platoons, these hierarchical groupings. And he says this, until people made a pointed effort at making girls more like boys, there is no instance that I can recall of girls or women spontaneously coming together in teams for competitive sports. <laughs> so true. The team is an anthropological constant for the males of our species. The activities of the team reflect or they make evident the structures of masculine organization in arts and letters. The masculine team may be a necessary feature for the education of boys. Without it, many a lads simply will not learn. So compare that to 2019, Dan. The Boy Scouts changed its name to Scouts BSA or the Gay BSA is what it should have been. Yeah. A change... That reflected yeah, the inclusion of girls into the once male-only space. Yeah. Again, we've seen similar things. I remember growing up in Colorado when uh, Katie Nida, her dad was a news anchor for one of the stations, uh, she, was, she insisted, they insisted that she participate on the CU Buffs football team. Oh, boy. Later, there were rape allegations, blah, 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 huge problem. Well, I think any father probably could have seen this was a problem. Yeah. And why is it a problem? Because, again, we need male-only spaces, but- because of equality, we're not allowed to have them. Yeah. Do you agree? Do you see this as a sign of a, a bigger issue?
0: Man, Dan, your point about birth is such a good point. I mean, and you have these women only spaces, these women initiatory rights in some ways, where it's like, welcome, you know. But they, they don't let men. You're not allowed to have male only spaces anymore.
2: No, if you're to have a, a men's only club, yeah, I mean immediately there would be lawsuits. <laughs> I feel like that's that's probably the case, but I mean, well, Augusta, reason,
1: Augusta I'm sorry to interrupt, but Augusta no. National Golf, uh, every year it's a huge thing because they're were like, we're petitioning for the lady golfers to be included, and they're like, no, this is a men's golf club, mm-hmm. but it's a huge point it, of contention. And it still is.
2: Yeah. Wow. They, Amazing. Good for them. Good for based. Man, we need
0: we need to start. <sighs> golf is awesome. Yeah, I mean, did even is,
2: like it. These men's only spaces are are ne- necessary. Uh, and, and it's proved just – if you've ever seen teenage boys and how they interact with one another, and then you introduce a girl mm-hmm. into the room, things change radically. Yeah. Things change radically. The body, uh, the posturing, the mm-hmm. the activities, the sorts of things that they do, it's completely different. Uh, women ruin ma- ma- male-only spaces.
0: Absolutely. they Even um, one of the things with Boy Scouts – Um, I happen to have almost all male leaders, but you could have female leaders. And it's a lot of the Christian alternatives to scouting that have cropped up. The problem with them is they're actually still too politically correct. Yeah, They still have mother leaders involved in the Boy Scout thing. And and women won't understand this. It actually hurts their feelings a lot of time to hear this kind of thing. But women, you actually need to go away sometimes. And you need to make sure that your boys and your husband and and men – have male only spaces and don't ruin them by showing up or trying to be included.
1: It's amazing how bonding is different. My wife even says this because I've said in years past, I said, "Hey, do you want to go hunting with me and the boys?" Uh-huh. She's like, "Absolutely not." Yeah, you guys need space where you can. It, the dynamics is just so much different. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, correction, a sad correction. I looked this up while we were talking. Oh no, is it Augusta? Oh, is, Augusta, they caved. They caved.
2: <gasps> yeah, See, so,
1: another one falls. They've been admitting, this one is from 2017, they've been admitting like Condoleezza Rice, other power Condoleezza women. Condoleezza Rice? Power yes. women? Oh, power, man. the pantsuit yes. wearing demographic.
0: Ugh. Get out of here. You okay. I, couldn't just, have said it better that's just, myself. a Nigerian what camera guy. <laughs> <laughs> Nigerian <laughs> I can't, remember what, can't remember what his
1: name is. <laughs> so we agree that men need male-only spaces. One of the other ones, tied again very closely to this, I said men lack a meaningful agon. So, again, this is why I think you have things like Fight Club. Why was it so popular? Basically, because you have immature boys finding destructive, narcissistic ways to try to pursue masculinity in a world where there is no space for that. Yeah. Um, I, I do think that there was a lot to learn from something like Fight Club. What's the attraction? Mm-hmm. Again, it, it tends to be a very Absalon type space but as anthony esselind has pointed out men learn best in the context of an adventure or a fight or what you know an agon but we're not dan we're not allowed to have those no our words are violence violence is toxically masculine we need to put those things to death james cameron said that are testosterone you are you gay what <laughs> are you gay you are gay james cameron said that uh, testosterone itself needs to be banished well it's being banished <laughs> i think they're Pretty successful, yeah. But Dan, just briefly, why do men need a combat zone for ideas and their bodies?
2: Yeah, I think there's a certain safetyism that comes with mothering. I mean, that's it's kind of built it's into feature, mothering. Yeah. Is it's it's a it's a verb. There's action there, meaning like, hey, nice, nice. Be safe. Be careful. Don't do that. Don't climb there. Don't do this. You know, the other day I was looking for a taekwondo or jujitsu gym for my boys. Mm-hmm. I've got four boys. They fight constantly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like, you know, that's what boys do. And I was like, well, I mean, at least I should train them how to, you know, take a punch and to deliver a punch. But all of these gyms are like co-ed.
0: Yeah, they're co-ed.
2: So they're going to have to fight girls. That was a problem and, and we like, ran into as well. Yeah. Like, no, no, you do not fight girls. Anyway, anyway, yeah. The, the point is that men need this because they need male only spaces and boys need male only spaces because like we talked about earlier, they're dangerous. It's a, de- a design feature. Yeah. Like it's actually a good thing to have a dangerous man pointed at the right enemy. Mm-hmm. It's a really good thing. But if you have the feminine instinct, which is the, the feminine is a very important part of family, society, life. But if you have that feminine instinct of safetyism and protection and nurturing, it kills the thing. Mm -hmm. It kills the thing. How can you learn how to, how to be a dangerous man that is, uh, potent in, I mean, like winning the girl in taking dominion, in being strong. If you have someone over your shoulder constantly saying, no, too dangerous, no, too risky. Don't do that. Don't climb that. Don't Mm -hmm. lift that. You could get hurt. You could do this. You could do that. Yeah. Like always at the forefront of your mind, there's risk there. Yep. Red alert. Don't go any further. There's risk. Whereas the masculine should say, heck, yeah, there's risk. Yep. Let's do it. What if we lose? Then we lose in, with honor. Yeah.
0: And, and the problem is there is no such thing as a safe man. A soft man is the most dangerous man of all. Yeah. yeah. He can destroy a whole world. So, so it's not as if you're going to declaw men. If you declaw men, you make them more dangerous Be- because then they, they, they give way. They, they stop fighting. They stop building. They stop cultivating. They stop doing the things that men obsessively were made to do. Even things like inventing. The greatest artists and inventors and are men historically, and it's not an accident. No. It's because they were meant to aggressively throw themselves into things in a way that builds worlds. And when you when you neuter, when you cut their testicles off and you do it by removing all of their their places of struggle and removing all the male influence and removing all of the fathers and you just give them mothers of both sexes, then what you end up doing is you actually make the most dangerous man of all, the fat, soft, low-t, loser and who's i also, passive.
1: I also think like we've talked about the physical, but it also ties into intellectual Brian, no. you've talked a lot about how uh, it's such an awkward thing, like when there's ladies on Twitter, like, arguing. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, Beth Moore is the master of actually detonating a whole conversation with a very manipulative yeah. feminist approach, right? Because when a woman enters and says, oh, no, these mean boys are being mean to me. Yeah. Well, it changes where you're no longer able to have this intellectual fight. Can't do combat. No. Uh, it's an interesting quote. Ethelon says this. The whole of rational life, as John Milton conceives it, is an agon, an adventure, and a fight. We must fight because it is for us men of the essence of virtue itself, whether physical or intellectual. So for us to progress as men, we need these these spaces to fight. If courage is the testing
0: point of every virtue, and it is, and you remove all situations or you attempt to build a world where courage will no longer be needed— you're actually eliminating virtue itself. Virtues no longer have the possibility of being tempered by heat. Mm. It's it's like all you can get is low-grade steel for the rest of forever because you're never going to get men who actually know how to take a punch intellectually and verbally and relationally. And and men will have to in the world that exists right now. I mean men will have to. If you take it away, it's not that they're not going to do anything. It's that they're going to build a hellscape. They're going to build a bureaucratic mothering hellscape. Like they're just going to ruin everything in churches and society and families. They're going to give way to uh, the feminine everywhere, and the feminine will become a monster. Mm-hmm. So, like when you lose the masculine, the feminine also becomes this she beast hydra <laughs> that destroys everything. She beast. She beast. You know? <laughs> so, uh, it, we, it's very difficult to overstate how important it is that men and boys get this, mm. get this time and these spaces and that we create
2: them and yeah. recover them. Yeah, the importance of fighting and the masculine is 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 yeah. hugely important. I, I remember when I was in grade school, um, I had a, uh, I, I caught an interception at recess and returned it for a touchdown and I was doing some sort of celebration dance, right? Mm-hmm. One of the kids made fun of me, punched him right <laughs> in the face, right in the nose. And I I, the thing is he was, he was stronger than me. Uh-huh. And after I did that, I was like, oh no, what is he going to do? Uh-oh. You know what happened? We became best friends.
0: He was like, yeah, I deserve that.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but I guarantee you, like, two win, two, two, two girls fight. Guess no. what? The feud is on and I mean, for life. No, they, Even to this day, my wife talks about fights she had yeah, no. with this other lady that, anyway, this has is the how same
0: names, name. baby names get taken off the table. Yes, yes, yes. No, it is. we can't name her Cindy. I knew a Cindy in third grade. She was a real. Piece of work. Piece of work is what I was, uh, she was yes, bad.
2: that's what you were looking for. She, yeah, was, she was mean. She was mean She was me. a witchy lady. She was witchy. There yeah. you
0: go. That's how, and every husband who's tried to name a daughter knows this. You absolutely you've know. All, you've proposed a name and found out that there was a feud somewhere that and has taken And it's still that name. continuing
2: yeah, to this day. You're
0: like, I'm sure she grew out of whatever happened in third She's grade. fine. She's probably fine. Actually, she's well, probably not, not. Are you on Cindy's side are, now? Yeah.
1: No, 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 no. Cindy, we're sorry. Cindy, I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, gentlemen, I want to close. We've got uh, two points. We're going to devote other episodes to these uh, so we don't have to go too in-depth here. But I think worth mentioning signs of fatherlessness. And the first one would be the sexual chaos, largely stemming from the sexual revolution, post-1960s, all that good stuff. But when you think about things like immodesty, right? I, I was watching a – I think it was a football game. It was a Michigan football game and they were getting absolutely destroyed by TCU. And they were showing, like, the quarterback's sister, and she's in the crowd, and she's got, like, a tube top and Daisy Dukes, mm. and her dad is standing right there. And I- I'm just cringing and going to change the channel as they keep zooming in on them. And one of my sons said, why does that father do nothing? <laughs> and it really struck me because I was thinking, Based. wow, that's actually, the I think, the key point here. Why is dad standing there? Mm -hmm. watching her dress like that and not saying anything. So, Brian, agree, disagree. It seems like a lot of the sexual chaos that we're facing is fathers who didn't do what God did in the garden, which is, no, 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 more clothes. Yep. (laughs) Protect, nurture, love,
0: pour into, not leave this gaping uh, void of um, affection that needs to be sought by every man, Um, not teaching daughters that uh, they have this Temptation before them always to try and manipulate and seek their validation,
1: wanting attention,
0: bisexual attention to be lusted after by a thousand men instead of um, faithful to one man, uh, and this is all father hunger. Even, even I think if you push back and said, "What about mothers?" and there, there's we're not doing a season on motherhood, so it's like, but but even the motherhood is designed to sort of nest under the covering of fatherhood, so. A lot of the issues you see with daughters, you also see with men who would not correct their wives, mm. and so now the wives are discipling the daughters to be hoes. You literally see this where they're taking them out, they're teaching them to be obsessed in vain with their appearance, to where oh she it's fine she looks great let her you know it's this is the fashion now honey you just don't understand uh, I, I mean sexual chaos is the result of unself-controlled men who
2: give way. Yeah, you have you have fathers that are supposed to show their daughters that they're actually a treasure. Yeah, they're something to be, to be yeah, sought after. They're valuable, they're 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 va- glory and, of man, and therefore a treasure must be protected. Yeah, it must be protected. You're valuable enough that you must be protected instead of just displayed <laughs> yeah. like on a. <laughs> I've already football had, screen in front I, of you know millions of people.
0: I've had to have this conversation already with one of my my little ladies because she's very feminine. She is an absolute queenlet, as I call her. And uh, and I've had to tell it because she was frustrated with mama one day about why mama wouldn't let her wear some clothing without a dress. Like you, you can't wear these pants, these legging things without the it had dressed come down your knees. And I had to take her aside and cause she was real frustr little, little lady, real frustrated with mama. And I'm like, Mama's loving you right now. She's protecting you because and and not because you're shameful, but because you're glorious. Like you are a treasure, you're a crown. And um I just think of how many little girls grow up where they they don't have any of that. They don't nobody's telling them that they're just like nobody's telling a young man you're strong, your strength matters, you're supposed to be dangerous, you're supposed to have ambition, you're supposed to love the Lord and your people and go do hard things. No don't one's punch your the, sister. Yeah, don't <laughs> punch your sister. No, now actually now they're telling him go to the jujitsu gym and punch another person's sister. Uh but no one's telling the, the young ladies. That they are a glory, and that
2: they are—that glory is supposed to be
0: a gift and a crown.
2: Yeah, their value is. It's it's funny because no no little girl that's grown up in the last thirty years has doubted their value. Yeah, it's like well you, you know you rock girl yeah. you know whatever you can do you anything go, whatever. Girl. But it it's a misplaced value. Yeah, because it's not just for any passing passing guy like no. you are too valuable yeah. to be displayed this way and and so there's that lack of affection from fathers to daughters yeah. that have shown like this is what right affection looks yeah. like towards a daughter but the same thing could be said about a son in directing him as far as promiscuity goes mm-hmm. instead of just saying like hey you know like do whatever feels good sort of thing you know get get whatever you want uh instead it should be like hey you're you're potent mm-hmm. you are dangerous and you can raise a line of, of children, of sons and daughters, mm-hmm. to your own glory and the glory of God. And that's a dangerous thing. Make mm-hmm. sure that you choose wisely yeah. the woman that you're going to, Don't to, to select. Don't settle. Don't just go out and sow your wild oats yeah. and all that.
1: Yeah. Yep. Be a glory. Yeah, the last thing to say about that is homosexuality. I wonder if one of you would talk just a little bit about that. But uh, it really makes fatherhood obsolete. I mean, for the obvious reason you you can't multiply.
2: I mean, yeah, you can even see this in in some relationships where there'll be like a much older guy who's groomed a younger man. Mm. So which gross. is I mean, this whole subject is absolutely revolting and disgusting. disgusting. But this is a common thing that you see is like an older guy and a younger yeah. guy and you have like father issues on display for like I mean, it's the o- almost yeah. the most obvious. Just a, Mister, a
1: Should I call you Mr. <laughs> I said yeah I day. mean <laughs> it, I mean it's
2: just it's such a twisted the reason it's so disgusting is because it's so twisted and inverse of the good and beautiful things that God has given to us as gifts yeah. in marriage and in sex <laughs> and in uh, affections and it's so unbelievably twisted it and revolting
0: yeah yeah homosexuality is uh essentially it's the Enlarging of male lust to like a supernova, just eat the whole universe, eat the whole solar system of masculinity. Homosexual relationships are often extremely promiscuous and extremely sexual. They, I mean, like the number of partners, the number, because what you get is you're taking two male libidos and just pointing them at each other in a really disgusting and perverse way. And so you end up um, with—instead of of this beautiful creational design where you have uh, a glory that cannot be without the coming together of the man and the woman, which is world-building and life-giving, you have this death cult. It's a death cult. It's another way of seeing that those who hate wisdom love death because it's impotent. It cannot produce. It's fruitless. It can only rob and steal and kill and destroy and pervert, and it gets poop all over everything.
2: <laughs> the best stories are <laughs> – <the best>. I <laughs> want to just fly by that as quick as I can. So, I'm not
0: even kidding. I know. It it you talk poop yeah, all I, over. Mean,
2: reco- you Thabiti, I mean, thank you, know, that for as recovering a, your <laughs> gag reflex and all that. I mean
0: that. that both as a literal fact and a metaphorical fact. It puts poop what on everything. G- yeah, it's a good question. So, so,
2: I mean, like, the archetypal story is the knight who fights the dragon to win the girl. Like, the whole driver of society <laughs> yeah. and virtue and everything is like, I will do this glorious thing. Yeah. And, it, again, I can go back to the group of teenage boys that are standing around. All of a sudden, they're, like, pushing each other, you mm-hmm. know, when the, when the pretty girl walks by. Or, like, you're lifting weights and you're like, yeah. I'm going to lift wait to wait but yeah. i'm going to try and i'm going to show off yeah. you know um, it's the driver of human society and I'm carry it just so becomes so many chairs it becomes a, your supernova thing although really dorky is a really good picture because it just implodes in yeah. itself and it just swallows just, and it will take an entire people with it because yeah. that's what homosexuality does mm. is it defiles a people not it's, just a person
0: it's late stage sexual perversion on a societal level it mm. just shows like you're in the late stage of empire I, I, the, the late stage of decadence and complete lack of restraint where that which is the, – the, even the women are giving up the natural use and burning with, with lust for one another. I mean it's just like it is
1: the evidence that you have rejected wisdom wholly. Yeah, it's essentially like the death throes of a culture yeah. I think. Um, Dan, I want to close with something that you put on our list which was I thought was phenomenal which is that fatherlessness produces risk-averse drones, corporatism, statism, that sort of thing. Um, we can close with this one, but w- what did you have in mind? I thought, I thought it was a fantastic point.
2: Yeah, because men don't have that family crest and that family motto, like I talked about. They'll inherit anything that that uh, a father corporation or statist government will give to them, and they almost interact with organizations like they would a family line and family legacy. I've seen this before. There was a there's a man who has uh he's a boomer. He worked for a company um his whole life and he wants to be buried at the company grounds. What? He, like the family plot. I'm not joking. Weird. Like, he wants to be f- planted, uh, you know, put in the ground at this this factory because that's how he relates to this organization is almost like this is my my father. My whole mission in life has been to make this company successful. And that's, I mean, that's an extreme example. But what it really reveals is that so many men don't have a, like a family motto or a crest. I don't either, you know, but
1: I'm, I have, I'm, I'm discovering. Make one after this conversation, yeah. I'm going to make one. Yeah. I think my family motto is just going to be full send. Full send. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That'll probably age well. I yeah. Yeah. And so, and so you can see like how people now re- relate to government and to work and to career and to a lot of other things, very strangely, like a father. And so the expectations from those things, especially the government almost becomes like a father being benevolent to its children. Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, you can't pay for college. A good father would help you with your education. I Daddy government will be a good yeah. father and I will pay for some of your student loans. Yep, You know, we could use tons of examples about that. Like, hey, you're getting up in age and, um, you know, a good father passes on an inheritance. So here is a social welfare or social security program. I will take care of you. Enter into my loving embrace. And it, it sounds kind of like over the top, but that is exactly what has happened is that you have a political ideology, a a government or a corporation or some dream that you have that you end up relating to as a father. And it just shows that there's an aimless people that has no purpose. And so it's been co-opted by status government Mm
1: -hmm. and by
2: corporate America.
1: Really interesting uh, teaser for the next episode that we'll do. But... It's interesting to note that the black fatherlessness rate, which is so high now, pre-1960s welfare, there was actually less fatherlessness in the black community than in the white. Wow. So it hasn't always been the case, but it's that transfer, Dan, of you went from fathers to papa, papa government. Yeah, that's right. And that was an intentional move.
2: Yeah, even, even government workers, you can see that a lot of the times. I mean, we have a lot of government people here that are that are definitely like— you know, awake to this sort of thing. But yeah. but you can see the the standard uh, trope of a government worker, like a road crew, like there's six guys leaning on shovels. You know, daddy will take care of me.
0: Yeah, when you don't actually have to do, you don't have to go into the agon and work. You don't have to compete because you have complete. The government has a monopoly on the use of force, and so it can force people to pay taxes. It can print money whenever it wants. And so it's it's your job is safe. As long as it can keep stealing from people, 40% tax rate, whatever, you're good. So you don't have to go in the agon. You don't have to fight and win. The top 5% do to go up the ladder and get to these high, high positions. And there are good leaders and good men in these, in these jobs. But the general structure of the thing is directly conducive to anti-masculinity, mm-hmm. not, not masculine virtue.
1: Yeah, great points. Gentlemen, it's been a wonderful uh, time having a conversation about fatherlessness in America. Looking forward to part two next week. We're going to be talking some of the root causes. So we have talked about diagnosis symptoms, uh, but then we'll get into next week some of the root causes. And, um, you know, I think that'll be another enlightening conversation. Yes. So, Brian, would you close us down? I'm going to have Absolutely. you close us down. But before you do, just tell us a little bit about New Christendom Press yeah. and what uh, people can be looking forward to.
0: Yeah, New Christendom Press is an endeavor that we are uh, all working together to attempt to build a publishing house, a modern multimedia publishing house that can create resources that are in the vein of theology with calluses, as Dan says, um, theology with practical anchor points that you can hook onto that will make actually move the needle in your life. Um, to to show you the good and the true and the beautiful in every part of what it means to be human and so we're we're hard at work here in Ogden uh, aiming to build that writing books getting authors that we think are going to be helpful to you like CR Wiley writing a book on some of what we talked about today even uh, expect to continue to see high quality podcasts some new projects launching here in 2023 on that front and uh, also a conference. And so if you'd like to support us or learn more about that, sign up for our interest list for the conference in 2023, you can go to newchristendompress.com and uh, help us make this thing get off the ground with a bang, and we hope it serves you. That's really our, our aim is that it would serve you and that this would be an unbought Christian publishing house that
2: could uh, just you know start the right fires and build the right things yeah, and we, you can also support the King's Hall at Patreon. And if you're curious, we have talked, uh, we have had quite a few after-hours uh, shows that are not publicly released or yep. just for our patrons. Uh, so over the break, we were still busy producing content yep. uh, on the after-hours. And if you're curious, we have quite a few episodes on the generational divide between the Boomers, Millennials, mm-hmm. and our hopes for yeah, Gen point. Z, yeah. for the Zoomers that based generation that's coming up. Yeah. We
0: have a, a chat group full of some wonderful gentlemen, uh, in the, through the Patreon as well. So check that out. There's a lot of great rewards and also you help make us make this show possible. I know, I know a lot of podcasts say that, but it's true. Um, we actually, Eric works full time for new Christian and press. I work part time. We all work part time for new Christian and press. Like this is actually something that we're aiming to put our, blood and sweat and tears and strength into, and uh, we, we can't do that without you guys. We literally can't. So we appreciate your support everywhere that you guys have been giving it. And uh, in the meantime, remember, Winkit Quisa Winkit. He conquers who conquers himself. Start there, and uh, we'll see you next time on the King's Hall.